0: talking technology with dave from chase's summit is a really big youtube channel some really high quality content highly recommend you checking his stuff out but you know trail running a lot of times is used to get away from technology to get away from uh you know this busy world we all live in but we do have a lot of listeners that are very interested in technology myself included I thought it was a a cool opportunity to explore some topics that I don't think I've ever had on my podcast. So definitely think this is kind of a newer, different conversation that hopefully you find interesting. This is Dave from
1: Chase the Summit, and you're listening to the Training for Ultra podcast.
0: If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thank you. I just put it out, man, so if you keep doing what you man, keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. Have was. Physically totally wrecked, I I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that?
1: Decided if
0: I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country.
1: 100 miles is not that far.
0: Welcome to episode 204 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And we have Dave from Chase's Summit. It's an excellent YouTube channel worthy of checking out. I think you guys will enjoy this episode. It's a little different, but I think it's definitely fascinating, definitely interesting, and hitting on topics that I've never personally had on the podcast before. So before we start the conversation, huge shout out to Tannery Outdoors, the John Wayne Cancer Foundation and their Grit Series, and Exoskin. All three will be in the show notes with links and whatever best coupon code is available from me. So really appreciate their support. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Dave is just kind of a Technology guru on all fronts, and he's a he's been able to apply this real successfully on YouTube and a bunch of other outlets. And I'm excited to share some of his story. He's had you know he's built this uh, platform on YouTube up quite a bit, and his technology backgrounds off the charts. So excited to get to share some of his background and his knowledge with you guys. So, Dave, welcome.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I, uh, I listen to the podcast all the time, so it's, uh, surreal to be talking to you. So thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, it's
0: much appreciated. And I have a lot of respect for what you do. Um, my buddy, Ryan Clayton does some videos on, on background on like watches and some shoes and technology and all that stuff. But, um, what you guys do is hard to do. You know, it's not easy to put yourself out there and say, yeah, I I like this watch better than this watch. And this is the reasoning why and all that sort of stuff. And I found myself watching those videos more often than I probably should just to know, you know, if if I'm in the market for a new watch or or whatever it might be, you know, I got to get some factual background and I do respect your opinion a lot. So where are you joining us today?
1: I am in the beautiful state of Massachusetts in a town called Tewksbury, which is uh, about twenty-five, thirty minutes north of Boston.
0: Okay, not too far. I'm trying to think. Vermont 100s, kind of. Yeah, a little I'll be, bit of a car ride, but yeah, not too far.
1: I'll be there in July, and uh, it's about, um, yeah, it's about a two and a half hour car ride for me
0: to get there. I mean, I'm trying not to tell anyone, but I definitely have, uh, sights on that course and that, you know, putting that hundred miler on my radar at some point.
1: Yeah. It's such a cool event, man. Like just the, uh, I don't know, you know, it's one of the oldest in the country and it's got that nostalgia, that vibe to it. And there's, um, you know, the horses run along with you and you're in Vermont and it's all hilly and beautiful. It's a, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it should be on your radar. It's a great, great race.
0: I mean, I was out there for the holidays with my, my sister just bought a house out kind of in the Vermont area. I think she actually might have part of the course. Some of her land might be on the course or might not be, I don't uh, know. But,
1: you got to use her address when you register, because <laughs> then you get into the early registrations if you're a local.
0: Uh, she's definitely local, that's for sure. That's awesome. Um, but what I was going to say is the course, it's so deceptive like you think oh we're going to Vermont like you know uh it's it's not going to be too bad and and I was hitting it yeah it was a little cold out but man those little like roller hills they add up and there's some climbs where I was I was even coming from altitude and I was sucking wind it was course i think is deceptively hard it's such a, i don't it, know yet
1: it's such a weird course because it's not technical at all you know it's not like super it's not like beast coast uh rocky rooty kind of terrain it's mainly like jeep roads and um you know double wide like horse trails but mm. th- there was 17 or 17 or eighteen thousand feet of gain on the course and um it's just like these weird hills that are graded for cars so your foot's always at this weird angle whereas it's not like a staircase like a typical trail you know what i mean so your yeah. your quads and your calves end up just blowing up and like the best way to train for it is to find like an auto road uh, you know on a mountain and do like dirt road hill repeats because that's all it is just like dirt roads
0: i mean so i, I was running past a graveyard and it had like civil war it, like gravestones it, it was old so i I think part of the roads and the difficulty is they didn't have much technology. They were just you know, we're trying to go to this point, we'll like draw a line and some of the hills some of those poor cars back in the day, I don't know how they did it, but
1: I know right. <laughs> I'm excited
0: for you. I'm excited and I want to hear more about how your race goes down the road and uh yeah, we can talk more about that. But I mean, tell me more about your running background. Like how how long have you been running? when did you get into it? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, how many ultras have you done? All you know, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so I don't you know, I kinda came to running late in life. I think a lot of ultra runners did. Um I wasn't like a very athletic teenager or anything like that. Uh I I really I was more of like the creative artsy type. I was like uh in a band and I did photography and that stuff in high school and that was like nice. all I did. Um but then, you know, I uh, met my my now wife, but back when we were dating, just my girlfriend and she was really into like fitness and stuff and going to the gym. So I ended up becoming kind of a meathead and going to the gym and getting like all jacked and muscly. Um, And then I kind of became overweight through that process because, you know, I was like eating a lot and thought like protein powder and all that stuff. Um, So one day I just ordered a pair of running shoes and they showed up at the house and my wife my girlfriend at the time literally laughed at me. <laughs> she was like, she was like, what are you going to do with those? <laughs> so, uh, I strapped them on and, um, immediately became obsessed with it. It was just like, uh, I've, I've never been like a really, uh, I'm not an elite runner. I'm not, I'm not the fastest guy ever, but like the process of co- going from zero and being pretty overweight, I was like, you know, closing in on 200 pounds and I was, I'm only like five, six, five, seven. 57 um, then, Sounds
0: very familiar.
1: Yeah, I think that we, we all have a similar story, right? And um yeah, just through the process, I leaned out a lot. I felt you know empowered and um I signed up for like a 5k or something and I uh, kind of got the bug of the race idea, but I also got like really into hiking um into the in the white mountains of New Hampshire, which is like kind of my stomping grounds around here. Um and then you know, through that, I, I was hiking a lot. I was like hiking two, three times a week doing these big big peaks, quote unquote, for me, not for you because you're from Colorado, but but out here, our uh, four thousand foot peaks are are epic, okay? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, through that, we ended up having our first kid. Um, and then babies changed everything. I didn't have time to like go camping in the woods and um, you know, spend time a lot of time up in the mountains or as much time as I needed to hike multiple peaks. So I literally got into trail running only because I had to, because I wanted to do like these, these longer mountain ranges, like multiple peak, uh, trips, and I didn't have time to backpack it. So I ended up just being like, well, I just have to move faster. So I got into trail running just through hiking essentially. And then, um, through that, what was it?
0: Go ahead. Oh, go go ahead. I don't
1: want to cut you off. No, sorry. I, I get carried away. Um, but uh, yeah, through that, I ended up just kind of finding the ultra world because I kept pushing the, the boundaries on what my body could do in the mountains I was doing. Um, around here, we have like these iconic uh, routes. You'll, you'll find them on the FKT forums, like the Pemi Loop is a big one, um, and then the, the Presidential Traverse. And those are like, one's like 20 miles, 9,000 feet of elevation gain. The other one's like 32 miles. Uh, 10 or 11,000 feet um, and I really wanted to do those so that kind of opened my eyes to these longer distance endurance type things so I trained up for those and then that kind of led me into learning about the ultra Worlds. I didn't know there were people out there doing this let alone like race organizations like putting things together like this so that's kind of it That's and, awesome kind of it in a nutshell <laughs>
0: I, I mean I I reviewed footage because Brittany Charbonneau went out to do the presidential uh, traverse and it was in it was insane yeah it was the the rocks and that trail are just out of this world and
1: it's, i mean if you're in so that funny. area
0: go check that out yeah it's, it's just wild
1: it's so funny because you think like east coast doesn't have big peaks and we don't but they're gnarly they can get real like if you're if you're visiting try one of the pre- presidentials because you know it's a butt kicker man <laughs> it's like barely yeah. it's like barely a trail it's basically just a i mean we call it the rock pile that's mount washington that's it's the, what it looked like the, yeah. na- the nickname is the rock pile and it's for good reason it's just literally the trail goes vertically up a pile of rocks no switchbacks no uh no breaks just straight up
0: <laughs> the, the pounding there's no give it's not a trail per se, I mean it sounded like it was just torturous, but anyways, um what what about getting into nature had you coming back for more, whether it be hiking or trail running ultra running what what was it about that aspect that was because it reminds me sort of like it put things in balance for you somehow, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, like what was it about? getting out into nature that was exciting you to continue that?
1: That's a great question. Um, I feel like we all have a different reason for doing what we do. But I guess for me, it's, yeah, I think it's kind of what you said is just balance, you know, it's me time. It's my, it's like my church, you know, like I'm not a very religious guy or anything like that, but when I'm out there and I'm alone and I'm challenging myself and, um, you know, in the moment, it can be kind of sucky, you know, like I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be like, I don't want my knees to hurt. But then when you get home and you you've accomplished that, you know, it's just addictive. You want to get back out there. And for me, it, it's uh, yeah, it's just like um, um, a meditation almost. I when I when I'm not out, I haven't been out there a lot lately and I can feel it like I I get anxiety, I get tense, I get stressed out. And then when I get like one big day in the woods, you know, like a 20 mile run or something. I come back home and even my wife says like, you're a totally different person when you, come, <laughs> when you come back, like just it yeah. completely just, it's like the pressure release valve. You know what I mean? It's like totally. it, 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 that button is pushed and like all the pressure is out and I'm left like just chill for a while until the next time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think Chrissy tells me I need to, I need to go for a run. Like if I'm, she, she can pick up, pretty quickly when like my stress gets elevated like you need to just get out for a run like i'll watch the kids you go
1: <laughs> totally yeah um
0: so did you did you get your your girlfriend now wife into the outdoors as well was she outside she, um she's you know? funny
1: she's uh she's really into fitness so she's like so she's had four babies right and wow. she's still still crushing wakes up at four o'clock in the morning to get her run in. And then she leads a uh, local mom's group around here uh, called the no excuse moms. That's her uh, group. It's actually a internet or not. It might be international, but it's a national organization of, um, you know, volunteer women who empower other women to join groups and get in shape and stuff. Um, But she leads like the local group here in Massachusetts. Um, And so she's like way into this, more like gym style fitness or like CrossFit style fitness. But lately, she's been running a lot more. And um, last year, she ran her first marathon. A couple of weeks ago, she ran a half marathon. Um, and just today, just this morning, she ran a 15-mile run just with her friends. So she's she's crushing right now. She might actually pace me at my next ultra next weekend uh, for like 15 miles. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Um, well, but Dave, Dave, it was nice to talk to you. It sounds like the better interview here. No, I'm just joking. Absolutely. <laughs> I should have brought her with me. I'm totally joking. <laughs> um, I mean, so how many ultras have you done? I want I wanted to hear more about that. I mean, this Vermont 100 that you have on the schedule, will this be your first hundred? Like how, how many have you done? Kind of what are you working towards in that world?
1: Uh, yeah. So I don't know how many I've done. I, I want to say like, around 15 or 20. I don't know if I've been keeping track. I, yeah. I have all the bibs on my wall behind me, so I'm trying to count while I talk. Um, yeah, I, so I got into it, uh, I want to say like 2017. I really uh, started going hard at it, and I ran my first 50K uh, at a local event. And so, I yeah, probably like 15 or 20. I don't know the exact number, but uh, this this won't be my first 100. My first 100, I finished back in... 2019 at a race called the Midstate massive that's um a hundred mile point-to-point race that starts in southern new hampshire and finishes right on the border of court uh connecticut so you basically run right through the middle of massachusetts super cool um and then i actually signed up for vermont that year as well uh but i dnf'd because it was 115 degrees out and everyone was passing out, including myself. (laughs) So I made it to, I I made it to mile 40 joke. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was brutal that day. Like at the starting line, we were all just dripping without even moving yet. Everyone's just soaked. And um, yeah, it was, it was gnarly. It was the hottest I've ever run in like that feeling of uh, almost like you have like a blow dryer in your mouth, just hot air. Just, it was was pretty brutal, but I, I made it to mile 47 that year. And so, I told myself that year I'm going back for redemption. So I signed up in 2020, except then the world went sideways in 2020. And uh, Vermont actually got canceled two years in a row. So yeah. this year I am running the race I signed up for in 2019. I've been deferred twice. So I, pa- I paid for this race <laughs> in 2019. And uh, yeah, so it should be, it should be good. Hopefully.
0: Wow. That's wild. I mean, what got you into the video side of things? Because your, your YouTube channel uh, has very high quality content. I know you said you were into music and photography. What led to kind of combining your passions here and then adding that video element?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I've always had kind of this creative itch. And as I got older, like I said, you know, in, in, in my teen years, I was playing guitar and drums and I was in bands and I was really, really heavily into photography. I had, uh, for a short while I did, I did it professionally. I shot weddings and, um, portraits and things like that. Um, but then, you know, I became an adult with children, so I had to stick to my career. And I felt like, I think in 2018, 2017, I was feeling that itch. Like I needed some outlet. I needed some creative, passion project to work on and I was also uh, very uncomfortable in front of a camera. I didn't like being, I didn't like my picture taken. I didn't like being on video. So I, I just wanted to push my like personal boundaries. And so I put, started posting my first videos uh, about the Vermont 100. Actually, those are my first few videos of me like trying to train for a hundred miler as a dad with three kids and what it was like. And, kind of the day-to-day behind the scenes. Um, That was like my first series. And fun fact, I told nobody about those videos, including my wife. I hid hid my whole YouTube channel (laughs) from everybody. I didn't want anybody to know I was on YouTube. Um, And I actually at the time had a blog, just a written, typed out blog called Chase the Summit. That's where the name came from. Um, And I would just... Write about write about my adventures and post pictures of the mountains and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a gear review website or anything. It was just a blog, you know. Everyone had Live Journal and all that crap back in the nineties or two thousands. Uh, so it was kind of like that. It was just a simple blog uh, to post my adventures. But I took that name and moved it over to YouTube and kind of branched out and tried something different. And then after a while, I think I was like four or five videos in, I posted my first gear review. I had bought the Garmin uh 40945 at the time i think it was 2018 mm-hmm. and uh that was the first video that took off and the first day I had 3000 views and i was like whoa i what's this like i didn't even know what that meant and i was getting all these comments and stuff um and it felt kind of surreal and that's kind of when i broke the news to my wife that i had a youtube <laughs> channel
0: <laughs> what was her reaction
1: she's like you're doing what <laughs> but she she knows that like that I have that creative side, like I need, I don't know, like I've always been to, into cameras and stuff. So they've always been around. And so she didn't really question that. Um, she really just was surprised that I was kind of putting myself out there and, you know, putting myself in front of a camera and microphone. And she
0: she seems hugely supportive of, of your adventures and, and all these kind of side projects I mean, how do you how do you guys balance that with four children?
1: Yeah, she she is supportive. I'm supportive of her as well. Um, it's tough though. Like I won't lie and say, well, we're, we're you know super parents. We all have our struggles. We have our fights. We have our yeah. You know, we have our moments where she's like, "You really? Do you need to be doing this right now, or do you need to go for that run?" Same goes for her. Like, it's tough sometimes in the mornings because I'm I'm kind of the morning dad guy because I do the breakfast and the get the kids ready for school because she's typically. Uh, That's good
0: balance. That's
1: yeah. Good. Yeah. She works out in the morning and typically I take the evening shift and I'll run when the kids go to bed. I'll be on the treadmill or just outside in the dark. Um, and it's tough. You know, it's, you, you know, you've got kids. Uh, it's a give and take. You can't for a while there. I think I was doing more taking because <laughs> I was, yeah. I was training and I was doing YouTube and I, um, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in that stuff and not realize the implications on your family. Um, so I try to be more aware of that now and it's, it's hard. I, I won't lie. It's super hard. So,
0: I mean, I, I am asked that question. That's why I like to hear from another creative, uh, especially within ultra running. Um, and I, I kind of describe it as the impossible balancing act. Like you, you're never nailing it down and maybe you get a week down where you're like, yes, but it's always like give, take, and never perfect and it's always like course correction is that sort of how you see it or
1: absolutely yeah i think for me it's like um i try to be scrappy and adapt to the situation uh because you know with youtube now kind of almost being a job (laughs) uh it's like i've got a real job i've got youtube and i've got a family and i and i also need to be training because i want to run and perform at a certain level and it's like i've got a bucket of time and I only have so much of it. So I need to divvy that up properly. (laughs) And it's like, it's really impossible. So if I'm training hard, if I'm feeling like fit and strong and healthy and blah, 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 I'm probably not. I'm probably not putting up enough or uh, as many videos on YouTube or doing enough testing of devices or whatever or I'm not being a great dad at that moment, or I'm not being a great husband, or I'm sucking at my real job <laughs> because so, like that bucket only has so much time in it. So it has to come from somewhere. You know what I mean? It's,
0: there's only 24 hours in the day. If there's 36, I think we would have figured this all out. Right. But, it's that pesky, yeah.
1: that pesky sleep that we have to do I every mean, day. Earth
0: is only so big and it rotates a little too quickly <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do you do on, in your day job? Is it tech related? I'm assuming. Uh, so,
1: yeah. So I work in uh, mechanical design. I'm a mechanical oh, right. mechanical design engineer for a robotics company that specializes in warehouse automation. So we basically make little robotic go karts that drive around big warehouses and put boxes down and pick up boxes. And um,
0: yeah, that's. Wait, well, you're not busy at all. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so let's shift because I'm talking to you because. I mean, I, in my day job, I cover technology, but it's from like, a a little bit different vantage point. Um, and I want to hear more about some of the tech trends that you're seeing. So a lot of ultra runners are, are a little bit more nerdy than probably your average, uh, person, a lot of, a lot of extra degrees and, um, I want to hear more about the tech trends you're seeing specifically within trail and ultra running. And we had chatted a while back, uh Patreon supporters got to listen to that conversation about GPS and how, and I do want to hear more about kind of your view and how that's evolving. But you know, a lot of people might be shocked that GPS is just one kind of older us based system for for figuring out where you are, you know, basically in 3D. Um, tell us more about trends you're seeing on that front with the different watches, kind of what's the technology um, that's going into those? What constellation of satellites are they using? Is there one that's better than the other in terms of that fundamental uh, technology?
1: Sure, yeah. So... I think what a lot of people don't realize what's happening right now, like this year, the biggest shift we've seen um, from all the manufacturers, except for a couple, is something called multi-multi frequency or dual band GPS. And essentially, uh, in the past, our our old GPS watches of yesterday would it, would it, they in the settings you would see something like the GPS settings, and it would say GPS only, GLONASS, GPS plus plus GLONASS, um, and then maybe some other settings. So what those are are different uh, satellite networks that are flying around in space and allow us to triangulate a position. And the watch on your wrist can see these satellites, essentially, and relative to their position in space, can triangulate exactly where you are on the Earth within like 10 meters or something like that. Now, the big difference with multiband, uh, the big shift that's happening is that instead of a single band or a single frequency in the watch that's communicating or not communicating, but seeing these satellites, you've now got two separate frequencies that can operate simultaneously and can connect to two different satellite systems. So now you can connect to GPS, which is the U.S.-based positioning system. Then you've got GLONASS, which is the Russian version, QZSS, which is China, and then uh, GALILEO, which I think is European. Yeah, I forget exactly where it's uh, originated. But you can communicate with all of these networks simultaneously on two different frequencies, which it can actually double the amount of satellites your watch can be seeing at a given point in time. Um, And KOROS, the watch company KOROS, was the first to do this. Uh, what the watch called the Vertex 2 came out, I think, after we spoke. Or maybe, yeah, after we spoke last time. It was in June or something. No, no. Before we spoke. Last June, it came out. Sorry. Um, yeah. So th- that's just... A, it's This is all very new. So um, if you don't know how these things work, basically every brand, like Garmin, Coros, Suunto, Polar, every GPS watch on the planet, <clears throat> typically the company buys their chipset like the guts of the GPS watch from the same company. So previously they're all a Sony chipset. And now there's this new one. I think it's made by MediaTek that allows for this multiband GPS um, feature. And this is super accurate. Like I've tested a bunch so far. I've had the Coros watch. I've got um, a couple of Garmin's that have it. And I'm actually wearing a top secret one right now that I can't tell you about that uh also has it and it is super duper accurate like to the point where the question of gps accuracy is just out the window now Like we don't have to worry about it anymore the only downside is that these watches are very expensive like all the dual frequency ones are 600 dollars or more which you know for an ultra runner maybe isn't that expensive because you're gonna buy like the garmin phoenix or whatever anyways but for the average like casual runner that's kind of out out of the question (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's super cool technology and I'm excited to see like, like with everything else, it's on the premium stuff now and the super expensive stuff now, but down the road, you know, a year from now, I'm sure we'll start seeing more affordable, affordable versions of it. Sorry, that, hey, what, that was super what th- techie.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's why we're, that's why we're chatting. Um, and I, I can't mention company specific stuff, but generally speaking, I mean, is there a brand, or, or like a, I guess, is there a brand that's more energy efficient using this new technology? Or there's only what Coros that is even using it, so there's no real comparison quite yet.
1: Well, there's like, uh, yeah, Garmin's doing it now too with the multi-frequency. Um, okay, that came out on the new Phoenix Seven, in the Epix Gen Two, um, and there'll be more in the future. But yeah, so Coros, I mean. I'm sure you you heard of them. It's like the ultra community has adopted Coros as like the the poster child GPS watch of what we should all own, uh, and it's because their battery life is just bananas. The Vertex 2, like in the basic GPS mode, has something like a hundred and I think it's 140 hours in GPS.
0: What what's allowing that? Is that just the the way it's engineered? It's like from the ground up supposed to be that way, or it's just the, it the chipset that they're using. Uh,
1: yeah, it's just the super, parallel? the super uh, efficient chipset that. Because Garmin's getting pretty good battery life too, not on the same level as the Coros, but um the Garmin can go up to like, I think it's one hundred and ten hours. Like the Phoenix Seven X, the big one, can go up pretty high as well. But the Coros is just like. It, it, even in like a smartwatch mode, you get like two months between charges. So, and it's real. Like, I've I've had a Vertex two since it launched, and sometimes I just put it in like a draw when I'm not wearing it, and like months later I come back to it and it's still charged. And I'm like, wow what the heck is going that's, on?
0: That's wild. It's I pretty, mean,
1: pretty crazy. What are your
0: thoughts on Starlink? Do you think um like Elon Musk type projects will eventually be integrated? Like, is there going to be a new GPS that that the u.s puts out like a gps 2.0 constellation a starlink kind of that i don't or?
1: i don't know if we need it but I, the one thing i really want to see and this is more of like a safe, safety thing and less of a gps thing but do you do you know what a garmin inreach is
0: uh yes
1: it's like a satellite communicator you probably wore a spot for your 200 milers
0: right i am Way too familiar with those spot yeah. devices. Yeah. My collarbone's still still bruised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so those things are super cool because you don't need a cell phone signal for those to work. They're satellite communications, right? Which is awesome. Um, and what I want to see, what my dream is as a techie YouTube uh, ultra runner is to take that technology of like the in-reach mini or the spot and cram it into a watch. Like, How cool would that be? So you could be like in the matter of time, right? Yeah. You could be like on a, on a 200 mile run in the middle of, uh, you know, whatever, uh, the Bigfoot 200 where there's no satellite, uh, or no cell phone coverage. And you want to send a message to your wife saying you're okay. And all you got to do is click on your watch, click on messaging, click. Okay. And off it goes like that. I think that's like the next level we need to get to. I don't know if we'll get there because that tech is kind of bulky. Like they're not, it's not shrunken down enough yet. We, we still have to invent the the shrink ray on that one, but it'll, it'll get there.
0: I I think it's, it'll eventually get there. My idea is that you can, and you know what? Someone can patent this and make a bunch of money. I don't care. Um, it could be you. It, no, (laughs) I, I mean, technically I'm putting this out here. So, um, if you're in a race, like UTMB, and you can hit a, bu- a button functionality on your watch that tells you what place you're in, I Ooh. think that'd be really cool. Um, just yeah. a thought. Just yeah, a thought.
1: that would be really cool. You know, um, have you ever used the app called uh, RaceJoy?
0: I I probably have. I don't remember.
1: It's like but- um, like the Mid-State Massive here, uh, the local race i ran here they require that you use it and it's basically like kind of what you're saying where you register in the app you put in your name and bib number and everything and you can actually track all of the runners including yourself uh on a map so you can see the course and a little blue dot for everybody and the race director can track where everybody is remotely um but the cool thing is like in real time you can actually see where you are relative to the field so
0: i it, i've i've used that during the two hundred milers, um you could actually pull up when you had uh, k- internet connection when you had LTE which was rare for me, um you could actually pull up on a, a giant you could like blow the map up and see exactly your position and that sort of stuff real time for the now, most part which was now pretty is that,
1: cool. Is that helpful or disappointing?
0: <laughs> um. Well, let's see since. I have never tried to go out and win a race or be elite. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was kind of just generally helpful to see if I was on course, Yeah, because um, there were definitely points where I was feeling like I was lost. And once you get incoherent, it, it gets more difficult. But um, again, I'd I'd like to be in the middle of UTMB and have my GPS watch telling me what's going on, which I think would be kind of cool
1: absolutely yeah that would be really cool
0: so what what's the best watch out there right now if i am elon musk and money is no issue what watch should i get
1: oh man i get that question like a hundred times a day in the comments on youtube in the the, that's from me and i'm still (laughs) i wonder why they all said rob in front of uh that's a really hard question i think it's because the like the best watch quote unquote is subjective so like the best watch for me may not be the right, the best watch for somebody else. It really depends on what you're doing. Like if you're an ultra runner only and you don't care, like if you don't care about sleep tracking and step tracking and how the smartwatch features and all you want to do is literally buy the watch to go for a run and maybe even take it off after and just use the watch in that capacity, I would buy a Coros. I would go for um, like the Apex Pro or the Vertex 2. Four or five, six hundred bucks in that range, and you get crazy battery life, great GPS accuracy. Um, it's everything you need. It's rugged, reliable. The company's really good with their customer service. Um, so I would say Koros, but like <clears throat> there's people like me out there that like the um, wellness metrics, like Garmin has something called body battery that gives you an idea of like how well rested you are and how primed up for training you are. I really like that feature, um, and the sleep tracking's kind of nice. Uh, So it's really, you know, there's so many good options out there. I think if you had to put, if you had to pick two, like one, no money is no option, Uh, all out the best you can get. I'd say the Phoenix seven X is a, it's a thousand bucks, but it does everything only downsize. It's kind of big and bulky. So you may not like it for that reason. And I think if you could, yeah, you had to pick one for under $200. Uh, The Coros piece Two is like, my favorite at that price point, because it, for 200 bucks, you're getting a watch that has 30 hours of GPS, accurate uh, battery life, really awesome features for 200 bucks. So there's your two uh, Where, two winners.
0: I, no, and I appreciate that. I put you on the spot <laughs> and uh, I, you excelled uh, as expected. That's why you're on here. Um, <laughs> wh- how are you seeing things trending in terms of the apple watch i know there's galaxy uh, android based smart watches are, are we going to see apple and those guys making attempts to get into the gps watch space i know there is gps functionality but obviously battery battery life's a big issue are we going to see garmin Coros, those guys putting more of the smartwatch functionality in their watches? Or are we going to see, like, how's the market going to shift in the next few years that you're seeing?
1: That's a great question. Um, there's actually some rumors. I I follow Apple rumors like a hound dog because I'm I'm a nerd. But uh, they they have some rumors floating around of this new design for the next Apple watch that is, like, flat, more like an iPhone than the current Apple watch. And there's also rumors of like a Apple Watch Elite or Apple Watch Outdoor type edition, and I'm wondering because Middle yeah, like the pack, like what you said, the
0: pack version,
1: yeah, the mid pack,
0: <laughs> like triple the battery life for I me, mean. <laughs> exactly.
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm wondering if they're going to try to do something like you know, d- you know, advance the battery life somehow. The the only problem they they run into is that the Apple Watch is such a powerhouse, like it's basically a an iphone on your wrist so physics are a thing and you can only pack so much battery life in there for a computer on your wrist right where garmin I mean,
0: solar solar's is a no-brainer for the apple watch that's what's really interesting to me is garmin's figured it out uh maybe you integrate some of how koros is doing some of the chipsets and all of a sudden you have an apple watch that's lasting a lot longer which solves a lot of the major issues with yeah using that on the trails you know
1: yeah uh interestingly enough uh garmin just filed a patent for uh an oled display with the solar panel so they just patented that idea like a couple of weeks ago so you know that might be an indicator of what's to come from them um but That's yeah
0: interesting yeah it's really because interesting
1: Because that's like, you know, the big advantage of the the sport watch, like the Garmin, is you've got that transflective display, which isn't the prettiest thing to look at. It doesn't look like an Apple Watch. It's not like super punchy and vibrant, but it's functional and only sips on battery compared to an OLED display. But Garmin just put out the Epix Gen 2, which is basically a Phoenix 7 with an OLED display with two-week battery life and uh, up to, I think, 42 hours in GPS mode. With an OLED display, which is kind of unheard of at this point, um, so they're they're pushing that needle forward, and I think the next step will be, like you said, to merge the uh, solar idea with the OLED idea. and I don't know if Apple will do that. you know I, I you know it's hard to say. Apple's such I, a r- weird company.
0: <laughs> I, I mean Again, this is this is all public uh like well-known information, but you know, last I think it was last week, maybe 2 weeks ago they announced board of directors there has uh tested glasses and we've seen some attempts at glasses. I mean, you've had every GoPro ever designed ever. Um <laughs> you've tested out all these cameras what are your thoughts on like having the camera on your face, like, um, <laughs> yeah, in, in glasses and possibly starting to integrate directions, uh, you know, race stats? I don't know what I mean, you could totally ruin the experience of being outside, but, <laughs> but integrating augmented reality, um, or even virtual reality if you're training, uh, on your face in glasses. What are your thoughts there?
1: That would be super interesting. And, and interestingly enough, in the triathlon world, they have that already for um, swimming. This, there's like smart goggles, goggles. yeah, yeah. So that show your like position and lap speed and all that stuff. Um, so I, I, you know, I could imagine a world where Oakley or Ray Ban or some one of those big companies come out with something like that. The tricky thing with sunglasses for me because there's these I just got a pair the other day from like a no name company that integrated like speakers into a pair of sunglasses and that's cool right but the problem for me with those things are like sunglasses are are a situational thing and for a trail runner like if you're in the trees I live on the east coast we have a lot of trees here and when you're in the trees you take your sunglasses off so now you've just lost all that functionality of your smart glasses that cost 300 bucks or whatever and you can only use them on sunny days that's the challenge
0: can, on- can i tell you how many times my 10 dollar, maybe 10 dollars max i normally buy them in multiple packs <laughs> have saved my eyes uh like dodging branches like just dipping down into like a trail that like you know dive bombs down oh yeah and just hitting a branch that like nix the middle of my sunglasses and i'm like wow like glad i'm wearing sunglasses (laughs) Um, so
1: do you wear those like uh clear or yellow ones is that like your go-to
0: i no no i i always have like a moderate um tint level just cheap sunglasses that i can break throw away if needed Because odds are we're trail runners. We like run into stuff. (laughs) It it gets sloppy. And if they're in my pack and they break in half, it's like, okay, I'm not going to cry over my $200 pair of sunglasses. But I mean, the real question is, let's just assume they get transition lenses somehow. And, And like you can wear your watch. So can we eventually integrate music storage, whether the glass is play it or not is a different story <laughs> but also the gps functionality and some other helpful um like call features and emergency type stuff into glasses there's that just not going to work do you think
1: i bet they could do it i just wonder if the market's there you know like for me, like a guy like me i like the idea of like the camera being in your glasses kind of cool idea like if you had gopro level quality from uh, something in your glasses that would be pretty sick uh but the challenge again for me is like it's such a situational thing where i I don't wear them 100 percent of the time so if i want to like get some footage i don't know maybe i just hold my glasses out in front of me (laughs) to, to keep using the camera but yeah like to your point i think there's a lot of opportunity for these uh technology things to like bridge over and and You know, maybe earbuds, you know, you buy some earbuds that have GPS built into them or heart rate sensors or something. I think there's actually, that exists already,
0: but there is is, a lot of potential there. What's the coolest technology that no one knows about yet that you've seen that applies to trail running, ultra running? Is there any like kind of one-offs out there that you're like, I'm not even sure anyone's seen my video on this or like, I don't know.
1: Um, kind of trail running related. If you'll if you'll include action cameras in that, but um, I'd say Absolutely. the I'd say the funnest thing, like if you're into action cameras and you're a trail runner, something worth looking into is a 360 camera, because the Insta One Three, uh, the Insta 360 One X2 and the One RS. I just re- I posted a video about the One RS like three days ago. They're so much fun because you just put them on the selfie stick kind of floated out in space and the selfie stick disappears basically. So it looks like you've got this like miniature drone, like FPV flying around you while you're doing Epic stuff in the, in the woods or up on mountains. It, it's so much fun. And, um, I think that's like, you know, everyone thinks of GoPros when they're like, oh, I need, I should buy a GoPro cause I'm a trail runner. But I think the 360 cameras are actually a lot more fun. If you're into that kind of thing.
0: Um, what are your thoughts on virtual reality? Like do you think that's going to actually pick up and and take off? It, it seems like Oculus Rift 2's reasonable. It's not making people sick <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um I I've contemplated diving into a film project or two where it's virtual reality, but then I don't think it's the market's not even close to being there. Most people don't even know what Oculus Rift is yet.
1: Yeah, that's so um, tricky. I mean, you've got companies like Facebook or Meta pushing that envelope forward, right? Like the metaverse is—I don't know if they're—they're they're still hot and heavy on that, but it was for a minute there. It seemed like everything was going VR. Um, I think it's super cool, but it's kind of like in my head, it's kind of depressing to think—to think of my my kid wearing an Oculus for hours, watching somebody trail run, <laughs> when like they should just go out and trail run. I don't know. There's something like, uh, I mean, Ready player one
0: that. really really <laughs> set the stage there. We're all going to be living in trailers that are stacked on top of each other. For the yeah. Most part.
1: I, I feel like, um, a, I feel like a lot of this stuff, it's like, you got a question. Do you want that to happen? You know what I mean? Like, do you really want technology to advance to a point where you don't have to leave your couch to, um, ex- experience some of these things? Because for me, I think the answer to that is no,
0: (laughs) I'd rather think 99% of the time. I'm a huge advocate of getting out your front door and going to explore, um, 1% of the time, whether it be COVID lockdowns or you're in the middle of winter in Maine (laughs) and, uh, you have a treadmill and that's it. I think there's such a market opportunity that Nordic track, you know, all those different companies that are starting to make content for the treadmill dude. So you're so right. Like it's missing the point. It's so, it's so close, but then it's also like, I feel like this is like an Apple Lisa computer. Like it's just, it's a good idea, but we're like so far from where it could actually go.
1: Yeah. You're so right. And one, like the biggest frustration in the running world for me is treadmill companies because it's like i i complain about them a lot on my youtube channel <laughs> but they they just live in the past like i feel like they've upgraded like the tablet or the screen part of the thing <laughs> but like the guts are still the 1980s like nothing has really changed and i think there's potential like for some company to break into the scene kind of like Koros broke into the gps watch market to shake things up and do something wild like put like a huge like 40 inch curved display on the front of a treadmill, right, and make it like super immersive. Or maybe have like uh, a wind machine that, like, you know, sometimes they have fans, but make the fans react to what's Dynamic. on the screen. Yeah. yeah. So like you're experiencing, or like you're smelling, or you're feeling the wind blowing. On like how cool would that be? And nobody's doing that. It's just like you know, you've got Tommy Ribs on iFit, which is super cool, but it's just not really as immersive as it could be. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I think I think goggles somehow that are safe, like where, you know, you look down and you always see the treadmill in a certain direction or something. So there's a safety factor, but I think embedding it into the the fabric of the metaverse down the road so that um, like going for a run virtually feels like you're going out your front door would be pretty interesting. I think it's a huge market opportunity. There's a lot of runners out there. And I couldn't agree more. 1980s, like, it's a software. Uh, great, you got a HD screen on your treadmill, but some of the software is so... Uh, I, I, I'm i not going <laughs> to overly poorly, but...
1: Yeah, I've made the mistake of speaking overly poorly and then uh, trying to reach out to the brands for, like, you know, reviews or whatever. And it definitely doesn't help your cause.
0: <laughs> I reached out for a treadmill. No response. So
1: they're they're uh yeah uh, they're lost they're, loss. they're tough t- tough to talk to i think
0: <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i i want to wrap it up here with just opening up more about if people are interested in getting getting into this stuff like i want to hear more about your youtube channel because you've done it hugely successfully like it's um some of your videos have have uh you know just completely taken off I want to hear more about kind of the the way you go about these ideas. Like how are you coming up with your next creative video, whether it highlight technology or whatever it might be? I, I just have to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've I've tried to vary the topics on the channel quite a bit. So it could be something in the wellness realm, like I had a video about uh how my whole family got COVID basically. And then how, how my watch actually identified that I had COVID (laughs) and I kind of walked through all the data and uh, the days leading up to you and progressing after, you know, how the stress and body battery and everything uh, adapted to that. So that one did pretty well. Um, But there's, you know, that kind of video, of course, there's just straight up review videos where I talk about a watch or a shoe or whatever. Um, Those typically do really well and I enjoy making them. But I'm also trying to pepper in like like vlogs running race videos because I don't want to just turn into you know i love I love ray maker d c rainmaker his channel's awesome, um but I don't want to just be a review channel. I want to have like a personality to me and like you know people that can get to know me more than just being a guy talking about a watch, so I try to vary it quite a bit. I almost do this like you know. One, I'll make a video that I know will perform well in terms of views and clicks and all that. Um, but I'll I'll also enjoy making it. But then I'll make videos that are just for me, like just me running in the woods, talking to myself, basically. <laughs> and uh, obviously, they don't get as many views, um, but they're fun to make. And for like ideas, I I draw a lot of inspiration from comments on YouTube and from messages I get on Instagram and emails and stuff. I write everything down. I have a Google Keep uh, library of notes with thousands of notes uh, that I color code. So I'll make, I'll I'll throw an idea in there and I don't know if you know Google Keep, it basically makes like a grid and the ones that are ready for a video or close to being ready, I turn green and then I know I can prioritize those and the other ones I turn red that are kind of on the back burner and then like yellow and I have all these different color coding schemes Um, and that's kind of how I generate ideas. And you know, I can kind of drag things to the top and drag things down as priorities move around, but it's so it's crazy. <laughs> go go I,
0: ahead, I think it's interesting. I mean, I remember we we interacted kind of behind the scenes when I was getting uh the Yoda master together, and oh, yeah, right, you're giving me like ideas on on uh drives, like which drive to get to store all my data because. As as few videos as I've actually put out there, just the amount of storage is getting outrageous. When you start shooting in four K at one hundred and twenty frames a second, um, the storage uh, is outrageous. Oh, uh, it's um, so crazy! Yeah, what what computer? What type of computer are you using to put out your YouTube videos? Edit like what type of editing software are you using? Um, Any other kind of nerdy background um, ideas there?
1: Uh, I've shifted entirely over to Mac now. So I use um, a 16-inch M1 Max uh, MacBook Pro for everything. That's what we're talking through right now, actually. And I absolutely love this thing. It is like such a beast for editing. I can drop like four 520p uh, clips from my Sony FX3 on there. And cut them like butter and there's no drop frames or anything it's crazy um so that's you know the powerhouse behind everything is the macbook has really changed my workflow because it's like there's no waiting around you edit you render it out it's up on youtube pretty quickly but i think like my number one favorite thing is my server i I think i sent you pictures of that it's like where i i store all of my data my video files and i can pull video i can pull files off of there put them away um, so yeah, I've got like a hundred terabytes or something in my you're, closet. we are going
0: back and forth. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm like getting carried away here. I have like 75 or 80 terabytes and you're like, yeah, don't worry about it. I have like a hundred now.
1: <laughs> it's funny. Um, <laughs> like I talked to Ryan, you know, Ryan Clayton, I was yeah. talking to him about that too. Now, every time hard drives are on sale or something, I'm like shooting him a, uh, Facebook message like, Hey man, you get to buy one. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm like, no. You're not good. You have to buy one. <laughs> I'm like obsessed with uh, hard drives now, the oh, ner- the nerdiest the, of nerdy.
0: The the amount of hard drives and like storage that Ryan Clayton and I spent on it was outrageous. Um, well, that's that's really awesome to hear. And then, I mean, my last one from an audio perspective, and Ryan's super into audio. I'm assuming you are too. What um, what's like your go to mic? in that sort of setup. Do you have something just in case you know a younger podcaster out there is listening or video maker. Um what what do you like there?
1: Um yeah, so I do not recommend what I use because it's super expensive. But I just got an Earthworks Ethos. Have you heard of that brand before?
0: I've yeah, I've heard of it.
1: Oh um, man, it's so good. It it's just like stupidly expensive. So I don't recommend it, but like, you know the S M seven B is the king, right? For podcasts. It,
0: I have, yeah, two two of those for sure. Um, sure seems like, I mean, I, I talked to a, a rock star and that was like his microphone of choice. So I was like, mm, maybe I'll go with that. Yeah, I think
1: everyone buys them because they see like Joe Rogan with them and uh, Michael Jackson recorded like Thriller on one. So <laughs> that kind of made them famous, but they do sound great. I got one of those too, um, but I just recently got the Earthworks and it's like, Really, really nice. So I've been using that a lot.
0: If you got extra YouTube cash throw it into <laughs> Earthworks, nice.
1: That's the thing. Like I just uh I try to use my proceeds from the channel to just invest more in the channel. So it just keeps going back in and getting nicer that's, stuff.
0: That's all yeah, I'm all about it. Just reinvesting in better content and yeah, it's a natural progression. If you want your content to get better you can't be using, you know, a $500 camera um, if you want to make a movie, but you can. So there's no rules. That's what makes it fun.
1: Right. And, and I think I think the important thing there is for a lot of creators out there, they feel overwhelmed or intimidated because they don't have nice stuff. And they think, you know, without nice stuff, I can never make a good uh, podcast or a good video on YouTube. That's entirely not true. Like you could do it with a GoPro, you could do it with the phone in your pocket, you could start Recording right now and editing on your phone. And if, you've, if the content's good, it doesn't matter. Gear doesn't
0: matter. So, I'll, I'll share this with you. I, I don't think I've ever told anyone this. I edited my best YouTube video. And this was all shot on an iPhone for vast majority of it. An iPhone. And this was an older iPhone in, I want to say an hour or two. And on YouTube, wow. it has like 300,000 views or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's the best video I've put out. It's all wow. about the story behind the video. The, it can be grainy, kind of poorly lit, not great video. But if the story is intriguing enough and you're hallucinating and seeing stakes, then that also helps. But I also was at the Breck Film Festival and the film that showed after me was all shot on an iPhone. Oh, all wow. Of it. And I think basic, uh, Apple editing, like on iMovie. So again, it's all about the story and the passion behind it, in my opinion. And I think you're saying the same exact thing.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I honestly, sometimes I, I sit in this room right now and I'm surrounded by the best, you know, most expensive gear. And I, sometimes I wonder, am I, am I just overdoing it? Am I overcomplicating it? Because sometimes, you know, just keeping it simple can be the right way to go. If if you've got like three cameras filming you and an audio recorder, and if you're overwhelmed and forget to hit record on something and it's all ruined, you know, it just keep it simple. So gear doesn't matter. That's the motto of today.
0: <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I think part of what you're doing is also inspiring yourself to put content together. And if it takes an extra microphone for you to like really get excited to like you know turn it on and record then that's what it takes and it's it's all good um yeah but yeah i think in the in the end end of the day it's all about getting out there into nature and having an adventure and creating those awesome stories so dave thank you for taking so much of your time i know uh this is long overdue. Where can people follow you on social media, especially YouTube? I want you to check out his channel. Yeah,
1: you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash chase the summit. And you can find me on Instagram @chasethesummit, at chase the summit and chase the summit.com. And basically just Google chase the summit and you should see a picture of my stupid face. <laughs>
0: that's it. That's a perfect way to end this. And uh, <laughs> Thank you again for so much of your time. Boot me in next time, you know, watch is on sale or a drive's on sale. Like I I want to know. So I'm gonna be watching your YouTube channel. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it.
0: And that was episode 204, the Training for Ultra Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Dave of Chase the Summit. His show, his YouTube channel is in the show notes there. Definitely check that out huge thank you to the Patreon supporters out there. You guys are absolutely awesome. You helped make this all happen. Big thank you to Tannery Outdoors, Exoskin, and the John Wayne Cancer Foundation, their grit series. Please check out all three of them as well. They're just huge supporters of the whole community. Most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. See you next week.